Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 37. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John. I want to make sure everybody knows we are VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. I've been pretty excited lately about this uh, next guest. John Hildebrand wrote a post on LinkedIn uh, just over a year ago about having a job interruption and what happened next to him. It sounds like you're hinting at another two-parter if I had to guess, John. Well, it it's definitely going to be a two-parter, but I was just saying that it was an intriguing enough post that I've been uh, really interested to talk to him about it and, and the process that he went through. Um, it really made me think that part of what we're doing here on the podcast is is hopefully helping people to be in a position where this kind of event isn't catastrophic for them. Uh, that means, you know, be prepared to look for your next job, no matter how secure you feel, like right at the moment. I think those kinds of events happen more than people realize, and we're going to get there, but... In this episode, let's focus on John's early career and his journey from engineer to architect. How does that sound? Excellent, especially since that's how it goes. Here it is, the John Hildebrand interview, part one, and the journey from engineer to architect. John Hildebrand, thank you for joining us at Your Journey. Well, thanks a lot for having me, John. And I can't forget, thanks for uh, th- thanks for having me as well, Nick. No problem. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do at CCD these days? Well, you know, I, I could drop, uh, since it's topical, I could probably drop something like a Game of Thrones that I'm a nobody, but uh, that's, that's not necessarily the case. So... For the moment, my, my title there at Cohesity is called Principal Technologist. The reason that it's not technical evangelist is that we all got together and realized that the term evangelist makes us sound like a cult. So we decided that we didn't want to sound like uh, burning buildings in Waco, Texas, or some sort of Kool-Aid incident in California. So we decided to settle on Principal Technologist. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I do see that evangelist title uh, bandied about and... I never really thought about uh, it uh, equating it with a cult, but now I'm not going to be able to unhear <laughs> that, right? Yeah. And uh, what did you do uh, before Cohesity? Can you uh, talk about that background, that path, maybe? Sure. So um, I'd actually, so as far as my career has been concerned, I actually spent 14 years with one place here in the Kansas City area. That uh, obviously I moved around from role to role inside of there, but it was with the same employer doing various things across business units. And then once I decided that uh, uh, growth was no longer an option there, I'd moved on to a service provider based here in the Midwest. And I worked there for about, oh, I'd say uh, for a little over four years before the the ax fell on my neck at some particular point and I was, I was having to uh, go find another position in, in the tech field. 
I definitely want to hear about that story, um, and we'll get there. But uh, maybe you could talk about that that journey through. You said fourteen years at a single company with multiple mm-hmm. roles. Um, that transition, like how you got into that, um, at, you know, going back as far as you think is relevant, and then how you managed to transition your career, you know, at, with fourteen companies at one year. Yeah, at, at one, 14 years at one company. 14 companies, yeah. that's impressive. <laughs> In one year. Yeah, and only if you increased your salary by 30% on each one of those. So um, yeah, there, there's some compounding interest on that one that you you would all of a sudden be making a lot of money. Uh, however, I you know if, if we want to reset the Wayback Machine to some degree, um, I realized quite early that networking was going to be very important in my career. And when I was at the university that I was at, which was, I'll go, and I might as well say it, University of Northern Iowa. So I was, I was from uh, a Panther from up there in the uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa. While we were there, there was a core group of us that worked at the local IT, um, well, I should say not the local, but the university's IT shop, essentially. And through there, what happened is there were a few of us that some were seniors, some were juniors, some were sophomores. And what happened was a pipeline started to establish. One person got an internship at the place down in, uh, so Kansas City is where I'm at right now. So the company in question, uh, yeah, I mean, if we're, a, as long as it's not uh, passe to list company names, I'll, I can do that. But there's a big healthcare, uh, healthcare IT software factory, essentially down here called Cerner Corporation. And one person got a, essentially an internship, and then they transitioned to a full-time pos- uh, position there after they graduated. And then the pipeline started to establish of, folks essentially from that same IT staff at the university. I'd I'd say about eight to 10 of us over the course of probably five, six years uh, pipeline down there to various roles starting. Uh, My first role there was actually in a consultancy role, which is pretty strange considering, you know, 21, 22, fresh out of college. And here you are, boom, you got to start talking deep tech with some folks who have been in the industry 20, 30 years, boy, you get to, you get some real interesting looks. However, I will mention this. When I was at the university, um, if you've ever had the fun part of dealing with emeritus faculty who really just do not care whatsoever, that's kind of like working with some IT folk who have been there for 20 or 30 years. And in a strange sort of way, working with uh, professors and uh, folks at the university who really didn't care, that was a great way to get started in consultancy because you had you you were literally, they didn't want to listen to you, but somebody paid for them to come there, for you to come there and, and talk with them. So, um, in, in, in that particular role, so we were just out of the 2000s and I spent a lot of time with Citrix and taking the big, large application footprint we had and trying to reduce it from a, a fat client installation to making it more manageable across multiple desktops. This is, a, you know, because early on, I mean, VMware really wasn't the thing back then. Virtualization was, you know, we, we talk about virtualization being kind of the cusp where a lot of folks right now have had for their for their career. But uh, Citrix was actually the weird thing. It was kind of the thing where it was at thin client computing in the early 2000s, which in some sort of roundabout way, we just we just rehashed the mainframe with a with a Windows kernel. So that's really that's really all we had all we had done. So but in a strange sort of way, I did spend six years doing that. That was pretty much traveling 100 percent. I gave, you know, I in if I want to say in retrospect, I did give my twenties to the 
to the career ladder in that particular regard. So plenty of times where the only time you saw your apartment was maybe a Saturday afternoon before you had to go out to the next next place and trying to schedule vacations was nearly impossible when you're scheduled 18 to 22 weeks out as far as uh, things are concerned. So, but as you can imagine that, that, that it, it weared down. And after six years, I decided to transition internally in the company. And then that does finally lead us again, since I talk about virtualization being a pillar in most people's careers right now, that's where I got my first taste uh, moving over to managing internal systems. I decided that I wanted to take some time off the road this felt like a good transition for me to broaden broaden the techno technologies instead of being uh, hyper-focused on a couple of ones from a consultancy perspective. And then that's where VMware came into the equation. Started managing internal systems for uh, the intellectual property, the, the development environment, and things kind of spawned around internally with uh, um, a lot of, if you want to call it almost like a lot of internal mergers and acquisitions. Uh, at any time in a larger corporation, when the when the when the wheel of reorg spins, you never know uh, who who you're reporting to. Uh, basically, on a six month cadence, as far as that's concerned. So, so that group eventually got uh, absorbed into another, which then got absorbed into another, which then got absorbed into another. But all in the same while, I was still pretty much doing the same thing. The environments were just getting larger, and by the time I got close to finishing up at Cerner, I was basically with a team of about four or five folks. We were managing a virtualization environment for their hosted um, division that was getting somewhere between 80 to 100,000 virtual machines and you know, to 2,500 to 3,000 hosts. So it was large scale. But there was a running joke that we always had. You know, everybody knows about the VCP certification, the VMware Certified Professional. We joked it was the vMotion Certified Professional because that's pretty much all we did was vMotion hosts because you had 3,000 to keep updating at any given moment. So, um, and it, it, what actually brought me to that is, as you can see now with scale being involved, now I had to start applying automation techniques. So I started getting involved in PowerShell. I started, you know, perusing Power CLI and trying to trying to make things simpler from our, our perspective. Because I mean, when you're trying to move around 80 to 100,000 virtual machines and building things in swaths of hundreds upon hundreds during the course of a day to add to it, you really have to automate as far as that's concerned. So um, I drew on a little bit of in my college college days, I spent a lot of time in, uh, I got a like a certificate in software engineering. So technically, I guess that meant I could program in C or C++ at, uh, at some point and write an algorithm or two. So that uh, that served me well in transitioning to things like, you know, Windows scripting and PowerShell. And of course, over the course of time, that was that that got me really interested in the large scale environment. But after a while, um, you felt handcuffed. The larger the environment and the more things you did to it, you started to realize that there was basically maybe five, six unique things that you basically did every single day. And after a while, that just wasn't enough. I, again, during my career, I tried to shift on and add more things to the portfolio, not stand still. Which, of course, as far as like careers are concerned, the you started now instead of being more on a on a bell curve towards the positive end of the equation and growing your career rapidly, um, you're now sitting smack dab in the middle. And I'm the type of person that I realize I'm not content with sitting in the middle. 
So that's where I decided, well, and with a little push towards now getting involved in user groups external from the company. So that's where things like the, the local VMUG chapter, I presented a couple of times, uh, got a little bit of a bug for doing that. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm coming into work and I'm not enjoying a single thing that I'm doing anymore. I'm, I'm looking around. We've we've solved a lot of major problems. Things are pretty stable. Most most folks would go like, "Yeah, this this is the good life." No, not me. I've I've been instilled to try to find every single problem I can try to fix and to try to fix those. So um, that's where at that particular point I realized I was bored and I needed to change, and I decided to start seeking externally. And that's where, to some degree, that pipeline from the university. Some folks that I had known from there had uh, one of them was moving to a different position and he had a position there at the service provider that was based in Des Moines, Iowa. The company was uh, Light Edge Solutions. Um, he was a guy that I worked with at the university for about three years. And he's like, hey, I'm moving on to a different position, but there's going to be now more global data center automation, trying to fix things from a data center to multiple data center perspective, not just at one particular discipline. And I decided that that was where I wanted to try to try to broaden things out. It was going to force me to learn networking. It was going to force me to learn a little more on storage. It was basically broaden infrastructure at that point. And so I decided to take on that. And that's where I spent four years at LightEdge. That uh, the titles there were something like, you know, cloud engineer to cloud architect, you know, things like that over the four year period. Did some did some really good work in standardizing processes. I mean, one of the things that I always uh, I state from a from an end to end perspective, when you start to take a look at infrastructure and where things hand off from from group to from essentially work center to work center, something as simple as building a server, you can find out that it changes eight hands during the course of uh, the build time, and taking anywhere from three to four weeks. Well, by the time I got a hold of the process, standardized it, and turned it into an automated procedure, that same server only took 11 minutes to build. You could you could essentially turn a completely deployed ESX host, put it in that particular customer's environment. And not only that, I did something silly like iSCSI boot the thing while I'm at it too. So taking care of some of the advanced configurations that you can do for that, um, 11 minutes would all, was all that it took to stand up a new host and hand it over. So well, wow. it sounds like the, uh, the, the automation bug uh, never really left you. No, no, it, it honestly, it never has as I'm, <laughs> you know, even uh, you guys are catching me on this, on this particular Monday. Last week I was at a PowerShell and DevOps conference up in Bellevue, Washington. So no, even now it's it, even though my title may not state anything related to it, I'm still a PowerShell head and I love wielding its power for, just about anything I can as far as data center or even now with the advent of REST APIs and foreign system integration across the board. Um, it's a very powerful language to do those things in. It's pretty amazing the scale that you were operating at Cerner, 80,000 to 100,000 VMs. Uh, it seems like you were almost doing the same kind of job someone working for an MSP would do. It wasn't that much more of an uptick in scale taking it over to the MSP. It, the only difference there would be that is instead of hyper-focus in one particular discipline, because uh, so at Cerner, they had a specific virtualization team. So mm. 
which seems kind of silly considering I back then I considered it the midpoint, the crossover point for network storage, compute, and the hypervisor to all do its thing. So, and actually it felt more like a dumping ground after, after a while, but we had a full on storage team. We had the networking team. We had, you know, the folks that build the, build the servers and manage kind of the server layer since it was a, a large HP infrastructure. So and managing all with all the HPE tools and making all the Cisco things happy on the network side and making all the HPE and EMC storage components all happy on the, on the storage side of the equation. We just happened to be the conglomeration of everything merging together. And we never really got to touch those other parts, but boy, did we get to feel the impact from those other parts as far as that was concerned. So, um, which, which is why I wanted to get more into the, the full on data center because uh, we had all these things that felt like was were really distant from that had huge impacts to what we did, but were very distant because there was a lot of tribalism in in that place. So everybody was very protective of their particular realm, and they did not like to cross pollinate. So you could only go so far, at least at that time. I've I've heard that things have changed. So, but you know, take it back five six years ago. It was like, even though you were trying to help, everybody was still lobbing bombs back and forth, trying to blame the other groups for all the problems instead of trying to realize that, hey, same team, folks, let's let's try to solve this as a collective unit because, you know, each one of these has a ripple effect and in compounding interest and in exponential growth of problems from one kicking a problem into another, kicking a problem into another. So I, maybe I was ahead of my time as far as things were, things were there because I thought I, I could see better ways of doing things. But in the end, um, it was pretty clear that, you know, you're outgunned, you're outmanned, and you're outmaneuvered from the uh, advanced tribalism that has, uh, has taken hold. And at some point, you just got to realize that, uh, you know, there's, there's hills to die on, but, uh, you know, not today. You can you can go you can go learn some other things in, in in other other places as well and that's that's one of the reasons I was very positive on wanting to go to Light Edge was that it would give me an opportunity to finally get my hands dirty with networking and storage and deeper into server configuration and things like that instead of just staring at vCenter and at my PowerCLI PowerShell prompt all day long. This sounds like the journey to full stack engineer. So maybe that's. <laughs> That's kind of how you, uh, well, let me ask this. Would you say that the exposure to all those different pieces and components that you didn't get at the previous employer are really what made you more worthy of the architect title rather than the engineer title? And I would say yes, because also at LightEdge, we were trying to go towards kind of that uh, cloud mentality. What we were trying to do is at the end of the day, when you take all the infrastructure and sprinkle automation into it, what you're trying to do is abstract all those problems away from customers. The, you, they just want to consume the service. And we did whatever we could to try to hide the complexities while still providing them as much ease of use in, the, in that particular environment as possible. At the end of the day, I mean, it may seem elementary, especially when you're trying to compete with, you know, the, the uh, AWSs and the Microsoft Azures and the, in the public clouds, but um, some folks, all they want is certain pain points taking away. And there's a lot, of, a lot of things you can do from an architecture position once you have a grand appreciation of the system as a whole to figure out where some of those pain points are and to try to resolve them on behalf of the customer. 
it just doesn't seem like every IT professional has a mind for process improvement like you're describing that you have. And I, I think that's something that's really differentiated you from the average IT pro, especially about the story taking a server deployment down to 11 minutes. That's just amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, is I, I know that there, even today, even though I haven't worked at that particular place in over, cause it's, it just ticked over a year or sometime last month. Uh, there's parts of me that just like, ah, you know, I could have gotten another 45 seconds out of that. If had I, had I known this technique now and at, but at the same, at the same rate, it's like, well, doesn't really matter. But at the same time, at least, you know, I'm still thinking, even though I don't have access to it, I'm like, oh, maybe I should, you know, feed my old manager here. If you, if you could have done this, you could have saved yourself another minute off the and shaved it and got it down to single digits. Um, but, you know, that's just, uh, again, I'm, I'm wired, I guess, for it's it, one of the things that I found in there, which was funny because at Cerner, they were very hesitant to try to give anybody the architect title. And that's what I was, it felt like I was striving for almost an impossible goal because it felt like it was more political than it was knowing what you know. And even if you tried to branch out, ultimately the upper management would almost smack you down because of it. They liked their silos. They liked their walls between the groups. And they felt that that was the most effective way to manage their resources in on the infrastructure side. And obviously you can tell that that came to a head at some particular point. So, um, as you know, you can only you can only keep throwing yourself against the gauntlet so much before sooner or later you realize it just isn't worth it. And that's where ultimately I, I moved on to a place that uh, allowed for me to grow in that capacity and to have a grander appreciation for um, not just individual cogs in the system, but the system as a whole. So I'm actually really curious about that process. Like after you moved on, you were at an MSP and you saw a lot of different organizations. And in your current role, I'm sure you've talked to even more. Do you, can you identify something um, within that mentality that you've seen a lot? Like, oh, we want to keep people in silos. We don't want like an integrated team. Or is that just a common weakness? Or is it uh, um, something that people do on purpose for for a good reason um, or what, what is your experience, you know, been after you've moved on? Well, and I, I'd say that a lot of it, it's, it, it's unfortunate because you can sit back and you can read the uh, read it management books. You can read all sorts of new theory and process. I mean, God forbid, I'm uh, I'll raise my hand. I'm probably, I'm probably one of the few I know who've probably religiously studied like the Phoenix project over and over and over again. I mean, shoot, when I'm on an airplane and there's an hour left to do, Hey, let's read chapter 23 again. I, again, I'm, I'm weird like that. So, but the thing about it is, is what do you, at the, at the end of the day, what you're tapping into is that particular place's culture and that th those sorts of things, they're generally fostered and curated um, probably more based off of time rather than, well, time. And I would say sprinkling a little bit of ego, uh, on top of that as well, because, um, if you think about it, if you've got the same person at the top of the totem pole, so to speak, there's, there's a con there's that constant same message that's reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And at the end of the day, the folks that stick there for some reason, they, they like that particular culture. Um, that, that, or, well, um, 
culture or maybe also at the same time, we can also say a lot of folks are beholden to their paycheck. But I mean, at the end of the day, there are other things other than pay that do keep you at a position. And after the pay is taken care of, the culture and the interaction within your organization is probably the second um, second on the list. And I'm, I'm not going to be the one to say whether it's right or wrong, but I can say that that sort of mentality of trying to separate the groups and create tribes and essentially have them at war between each other. I don't agree that that's a way to do uh, that. Re that represents the business very well at the end of the day. But if the persons at the top are agreeing that their growth is never higher and, uh, they're still on a trajectory for becoming a multi-million billion dollar company with that particular mentality. I mean, who am I to say as far as that's concerned? But it's definitely not a place that I would buy into and want to invest my time and effort to help to help continue that particular mentality. It's so interesting because a lot of you know organizations have a structure but nobody knows why that structure exists. And there's no maybe documentation that says, we chose this organizational structure because of reasons X, Y, and Z. Like nobody architects their organization the way that they document the, the architecture for their IT environment, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, these were the requirements that we had. These were the restrictions we had and resources. You know, these were the goals and, and, you know, and these were some of the assumptions that we made, you know, like that type of process, people don't document organizational structure for that way, you know? So, you know, maybe there's a change management board or a change advisory board because, you know, one time we had this horrific outage because we didn't follow a documented process. And, and so this was the solution that we adopted to, you know, avoid that, you know, million dollar outage. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not documented. So everybody just looks at it as kind of a painful process. Well, you know, maybe they're silos because, you know, back in the day it was a, as a small business and there was, we hired three guys, one new storage, one new networking and one new, like, you know, computers, right? <laughs> White mm -hmm. boxes and, and everything's just grown out of that, but nobody's examined it because nobody's documented it. It's just interesting that I keep on coming across those things, you know, the structure is this way. We don't really remember why, and we certainly haven't documented why. <laughs> well, and as long, and, and I would say one thing, if, if they are basically still continuing on with whatever they're continuing on, as long as, not to say that you have to be a, a student of history, but God, God forbid that the, that term, that's how we've always done it, but then no one can explain why. Those are, those are words that if you ever hear those during an interview process, run or, or just <laughs> politely stand up and say, uh, this, uh, I, I appreciate, I thank you for the time, but, uh, I don't think this is going to work out and, and basically dump the employer before they get a chance to dump you as, as, as uh, at least in that, because there, there are, there are some red flags, at least from my perspective that I look for when I, when I'm interviewing or when I'm chatting with other organizations that make me realize that. You know, regardless of whether I'm talking about the product that my company that I'm currently with uh, can help matters with as far as an organization or even as somebody who is providing, you know, essentially contract uh, contractual objects, essentially for whether it's a server or networking or something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, you hear those red flags and or at least what you personally believe is red flags and 
that's uh, that's there's there's more than enough that now over the course of my career, I think I've started to identify what I consider my red flags from an employer to be. And the unfortunate thing is, is I've had to, I've had to get, you know, like a lot of us when we're young, we gotta, we gotta get burned a little bit before we, before we start to, um, start to realize exactly what we're looking, what we're looking for as far as employment's concerned. So that's how you learn not to touch a hot pan. Exactly. I mean, even though, even though your fingers might be able to grab it after a while, because you've melted your finger, uh, your fingerprints off, doesn't necessarily mean that you keep grabbing the hot pan. (laughs) Well, Nick, uh, first of all, I'm glad that we got rid of that horrible record scratch transition in favor of some actual transition music. Um, I don't think we started out intending to talk about the transition to architectural thinking, uh, but that's where we ended up with John. You mean the part where you got on the soapbox near the end? Am, am I the only one who noticed that? Surely somebody noticed that. <laughs> it's funny because I don't remember actually ranting about organizational structure, but I listened to it again and I stand by everything that I said. Absolutely everything. All right, uh, I think uh, John just got me wound up about it. He definitely did. You know, maybe someone out there listening has a rant about organizational structure. We certainly want to hear about that. But maybe you're ranting about it because you're ready to move on and find that next best career. And if you need that help and you need some advice, there's no reason you can't reach out to the John White School of Mentoring today. Send that tweet out to at NerdJourney. We'll be happy to give you pricing and packaging information. Just a reminder... We want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.